episode 360, Eternals, the movie review. Welcome to Level 7. A podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Welcome to Level 7. My name is Ben, Ben Avery, and I'm here with Agent Samantha right over there. Hello. And Agent Stewart is not with us, but he did send us some comments so that we could talk a little bit about how he felt about this movie. So we are going to be reviewing Eternals, which means we are going to be potentially spoiling anything in the MCU that comes before this movie, which would probably include talking about, you know, Endgame, Infinity War. Some of those things might tie into this. But surprisingly, I was surprised how little this tied into the MCU <laughs> in some ways. So we'll, we'll talk about it. Before we do talk about the movie, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. But first, we did want to mention in... Two days. So some of you might be listening to this episode. Well, Patreon patrons, you're listening to it. And in two days, you're going to be hearing, you know, Disney Plus Day is happening on the 12th. Uh, some of you might be listening to this podcast after November 12th. But Disney Plus Day is November 12th. And what is Disney Plus Day? I honestly don't really know. <laughs> it's it's uh, a big day where they're going to have new stuff in their catalog and they're going to try and get people to subscribe. I think it's kind of them saying pre black Friday, we want people to spend money on us. So we're going to, we're going to do things to try and get you in like releasing the important thing for me. Shang-Chi will be released on, on Disney plus. That's huge. I'm looking forward to Boba Fett. But here's what we're getting on the 12th related to that. First of all, Marvel Studios Legends Hawkeye will be coming. And we've talked about the legend stuff where it's like just spotlighting the story of the character up until just before their Netflix series starts. Or not, not Netflix, their Disney Plus series. What am I talking about? Their Netflix series. Um, they are doing an Under the Helmet the legacy of Boba Fett. So I'm wondering if that's similar to that Marvel Studios Legends kind of a thing. Mm. Also, Marvel Assembled, The Making of Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. That's coming. And Fancy Nancy Season 3. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you know what else drops on uh, November 12th? I do not. Jungle Cruise. It goes wide on their platform. Oh, Actually, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. I, I meant to take my son to our local theater to see that and did not. So, uh, and then it was gone. It wasn't, there wasn't a chance for it. So yeah, yeah. that's, that's good. I, I'm excited about that. Yeah, me too. Watching those trailers, I kept thinking, I, I don't know if they do this or not, but it's probably a missed opportunity that could have been tied into Pirates of the Caribbean. 
ah. very easily just from the tone of the trailer and seeing them do so much stuff underwater. I'm, I'm wondering, is there any kind of Easter egg? I don't know. I, I haven't watched it yet. And I don't know either. That would be interesting because they're both movies based on Disney rides. Original Disney rides. So, yeah. That's why in my mind, oh, that's, that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, the other things, one more thing, especially for MCU fans, Marvel Studios 2021 Disney Plus Day Special. So I'm wondering if that's really sort of like what they did recently. Uh, I believe it was in China where where Kevin went out and like was making some announcements and talking about things. So, um, so that's also going to be something of interest to people who are fans of the MCU and also home sweet home alone, which if you're a Patreon patron, you heard us talking about the home alone franchise for a few <laughs> minutes in our pre-recording, uh, conversations. So, yeah, in short, we're just interested and Ben's son thought, Oh, this looks like home alone. <laughs> That's it. That's all you missed. <laughs> There's a little bit more than that. A little bit. I mean, not too much, but a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, so that's Disney Plus Day. It's coming. And if you, I mean, the exciting thing for me is Shang-Chi coming out and being able to watch that again. Yeah. I, I, I won't watch it on, on the 12th, but I probably will watch it within the next month or two. Because I really, really like that movie a lot. Oh, it's gorgeous and beautiful and well-written and well-acted and yeah. But it's not the movie we're here to talk about no. today. <laughs> no. It's not. Uh, so the movie we're here to talk about today is Eternals. And Samantha, um, we sometimes like to talk about our, our theater experience for movies. What was your theater experience for this movie? Because... It was the only way to experience this movie so far is in theater. So what was what was your experience? Well, the day before I went to go see this, I learned about the uh, Mobius trailer and that release date, which I don't think I, I cannot remember if we talked about it here on the podcast, probably have. And I've just forgotten. But I realized that between the MCU movies that we're going to see during the next three months, plus the movies I definitely want to see in the theater that gave me an opportunity to buy a subscription to go to my local theater. And that means for the next three months, I will go see as many movies as I'd like without having to pay an extra penny. What franchise of, of theater is it? Regal. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. And it's $54 for 90 days. Man. Which if you see five movies, it's totally worth it. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's – I would definitely be in the theater a lot more. Uh, when I talk about my theater experience, though, we'll we'll talk a little bit about yeah. just what I have to do to see movies. But um, Yeah, but um, yeah. when I got into the theater, there were a lot of people that were not wearing masks, which is okay because it's not the, – uh, the virus is not nearly as bad as it was when I went to go see Shang-Chi. But there were maybe just – maybe a dozen people tops in the theater and it was all right. So I went with Evan. We did a road trip for strangers and aliens, which will yeah. be posted pretty soon. Uh, it was opening day because I was not going to miss it. I did not want to get spoiled on the, the post credit scenes, which you were not aware of 
some uh, information from the post credit scene. Is that correct? Correct. I went okay. into the theater and I think the trailer started rolling and I'm like, wait, is there a post credit? Yeah. Or was it towards the end of the movie? And I was thinking, oh, I got to go home. Yeah. So I don't want to spoil anything, but we'll talk about some of those specifics with those with those post credit scenes. I did not want to get spoiled. I knew that some people had already started putting out spoilers from, you know, red carpet engagement and all that kind of thing. So I'm like, I'm going. We're going to make this the first day. What I found interesting about Eternals, when I'm looking at the theaters around me, there is a theater. There's a 10 minute walk from my house. And there's a theater, there's a 10 minute drive from my house, but those are both very small town theaters. And so like, I just went and saw Ron's gone wrong this weekend, uh, at this theater. And, you know, with my son, we walked down to the theater and there was, you know, 20 people there maybe, and probably seats a hundred, 150, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And so both that theater and the other one that this weekend of Eternals, they were showing, the one was showing Ron's gone wrong. The other one, the Bremen Theater, which is 10 minute drive away, was showing a movie called Mayberry Man, which is this low budget indie film uh, that's basically Doc Hollywood or Cars. Uh, but it's about <laughs> depending a, on how old you are. <laughs> right. It's about a Hollywood actor whose father once guest starred on the Andy Griffith show and he's speeding through town. And gets pulled over and he his punishment is he has to stay for Mayberry Days, which is the the town's Mayberry celebration weekend. And he falls in love, of course, with one of the townies. And I'm just looking at this and thinking, what in the world? Well, one of the connections is they, I believe, filmed most of, if not the whole movie in Indiana. And so that's part of why it was important. They were they were actually like promoting it as this is a movie film partially in Indiana, but <laughs> that means both these theaters skipped Eternals this weekend. Oh, wow. And, and well, so the other, the, the theater that I went and saw Ron's gone wrong, which fun, fun animated film, you know, it, when it shows up on Disney plus, uh, watch it. It, it was fun. You know, it's a good family movie and had a good message about social media and self-worth and friendship. So harmless okay. with a good move, with a good message. Uh, this next weekend, they're showing Clifford. I'm not sure what the other one is showing, but I, and I do know that one of the things they have to do with the blockbuster movies is they often have to commit to a couple weeks in a row. And so they have to look at the movie and say, okay, we're going to bring it in on opening weekend, but is it going to sustain sales for the next weekend as well? And so, you know what movie they had before Ron's Gone Wrong? It was Dune. Good choice. <laughs> so they they showed Dune for two weekends in a row, but they chose not to show The Eternals. So I, I just found that interesting that that's what they chose to do now if i'm going to go see a movie with evan i'm going to be driving to our amc theater which is where i prefer to see movies it's a comfortable theater i have points that i get for using fandango but i also have points that i get for using the amc club so i get double dip on the points and it's my preferred movie experience but it's well, when I pick up Evan, it's it's 40, 45 minutes away because I have to go get him and then we drive to the theater. That's OK. You know, I listen to Foundation, um, listening to the audiobook right now, and it was it, the drive isn't a problem. But I 
just found it interesting that to see that movie, I had to drive a half an hour away and it, it just shows me, okay, there's not a lot of faith necessarily for people whose livelihood depends on movies. They showed black widow, they showed Shang-Chi, but they did not show eternals. So take that for what you will. Well, frankly, the, um, the critical review of Eternals was not nearly as strong as other Marvel movies. Yeah. Well, and spoiler, although I guess I don't need to spoil this because we're going to talk about what we think about it anyway. My critical review isn't as high as other Marvel movies. I place Eternals in my bottom half. It was right at the edge, but it would be in the bottom half of, of the, all of the Marvel movies, Marvel MC movies. Now, did that mean I didn't enjoy it? Absolutely not. I enjoyed the movie. But this review that we're going to be talking, I'm, I'm afraid we're going to maybe upset some people by not being critical enough because we like it. Although I don't know if you did or not. So I, I'm speaking for me now, I guess. Or if it's going to be people won't like listening because we're too critical. Because the more I think about this movie, the more I'm just like, oh, but what about this? Wait a minute. Th- this This is a thing that doesn't necessarily make sense. And but I will say this. I told Evan in our Strangers and Aliens episode review that we did for Eternals to be successful before we went and saw the movie. I said for it to be successful, it has to capture my imagination and a sense of wonder. And it did do that. The The science fiction stuff that they were showing was was big and broad and there was, you know, cosmic stuff happening. And it, I enjoyed it. I, I did enjoy it. But as I'm list, thinking through and just like going through my thoughts, I there's plot issues. I'll just put it that way. Yes. Yes. So let's do a quick spoiler free your opinion, and then we'll get into the, the nitty gritty of it. Let's do this, Samantha. Do you like giving stars? I'd say in this instance, it's a pretty ev- it's it's an easy star rating system. Okay, so what what would you give this on your easy star rating system, and then I'll I'll adjust mine to to follow suit with your uh, solid two and a half. Ooh, wow. <laughs> okay. <sighs> All right. Right as soon as this movie ended, I I texted Stuart and I sent him two gifs or gifs. One was Thor: The Dark World. And the other one was um, somebody looking very disappointed. It, it was a woman. She looked very disappointed. She shook her head. She picked up her purse and she walked out of frame. That was my impression. That I. That was my non-spoiler impression that I sent to Stuart. Okay. <laughs> so. <clears throat> so my, uh, I have not posted my seven-word movie review yet, but my star rating was uh, thirteen. Not thirteen. What am I talking about? 13. Three. Three out of five. My MCU list. Let's see if I can find it. 28 films now. 28 films now. And, okay, I thought it was 13, but it's actually 16 out of the 28. And my... If you, you want to hear my ranking real quick right now, it's, it's Shang-Chi sure. is number one, uh, Winter Soldier number two, 
Black Panther number three, Doctor Strange number four, Infinity War number five, Civil War number six, Endgame number seven, Age of Ultron number eight, First Avenger number nine, Guardians of the Galaxy number 10, Spider-Man uh, the first one, number 11, Ant-Man and the Wasp, number 12, Ant-Man, number 13, Avengers, number 14, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, 15, Eternals, 16, Iron Man 3, 17, Ragnarok, 18, Far From Home, 19, Black Widow, 20, Captain Marvel, 21, Thor, 22, and here's where, you know, we talked about this, and because things happened, uh, Venom is at 23, and Venom... <laughs> Let There Be Carnage is at 24. <laughs> Iron Man, 25, which I know most people put it up much higher than that, but that's where Iron Man is. Uh, Dark World, 26. Iron Man 2, 27. <laughs> and The Incredible Hulk is 28. Mm. You know, if I had a list, I know Eternals would be down at the bottom. Well, Evan put it at the absolute bottom. Yeah. Of the list. Like, so I don't know if he's included Venom and Venom 2. So, if, um, but it was either 26 or 28 for him. So, and I know other people are doing that. And I understand why. Here's the thing as we're talking about this, this is where, hey, let's try and understand each other on this. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm being serious. You know, there are things that are important for us to get up in arms about, but arguing about why someone likes a movie, I guess actually with this movie, there is some things that, that people might, might say is important to argue about. But um, if someone likes a movie or not, you know, this, this is not something to, to attack, you know, this yeah. is, I understand why people might have a different opinion than me about this movie. And I hope they have a different opinion than me because they're different than me. You know, and so I put it three stars, middle of the road, MCU, but because I had some problems with it, but I also had some just moments of, of, of wonder and awe. And I did laugh, you know, there's, there's funny stuff happening here. So. Yeah. Yeah, there is. It's just, you've already said it. There's some plot issues, which... I mean, you can have, it's a beautifully filmed movie. It's very stylized. I really love the celestial drawings. Actually, my mouse pad, if you could see it, has a very similar style. Um, it's just, if there's plot issues, I am not happy. Because the plot is the backbone of the story. And the movie should rest on that. And if there's major plot issues, then there's a lot of other things that are going on and it's just, it's not going to do so well. Yeah. And that's the other thing too. Like for some people plot is, is the most important thing almost all the time, you know? And I think that I'm probably usually in that category, but there's, there's, you know, that's not all the art is, you know, especially yeah. narrative art, narrative art, story is very important because that's what it exists for. Movies exist usually to tell some form of, of story. Comic books exist usually to tell some form of narrative story novels, the same thing. And then you get into plays and you get into, you know, even poetry a lot of times is existing to tell some form of, of narrative. And so it's important, especially to those mediums. 
but then you also have the characters and and we've talked about this before, you know, Napoleon Dynamite story's not great, but if you like the characters, you're going to watch that movie over and over and over again. If you don't like the characters, you are never going to watch that movie again. And the same well, I will tell you I liked Napoleon Dynamite and that's because I grew up around people exactly like those characters. Yeah. And, and it, I grew up saying things like, gosh, and freaking idiot. I mean, I would say it in a very different tone and or a very different method. But I, those are literally words that came out of my mouth as a child, because those were the kinds of people that I grew up around. I, I mean, I, give me a few minutes. I probably know somebody that knows the director. So, <laughs> but and so in your case, you know, you're you can relate to the characters, the characters yeah. and so you're going to want to see what are these characters going to you know what's happening there other people are looking at that they cannot relate at all to those characters but they're quirky you know and so i'm gonna yeah. uh i i like them because i would like to know somebody like that character and, and then there's gonna be people who are like i grew up with those people i don't want to be around them anymore you know and <laughs> and and then there's gonna be people who are like i grew up and i never knew anyone like that and i never want to you know, and so my my point is art strikes people in different ways because people are different. Every people, every. Actually, I, I just realized I do know somebody that, that knows the director. As a matter of fact, <laughs> you know, in the beginning of the movie, the first scene when he gets on the bus and there's a farmer who shoots a cow right in front of the kids on the bus. Mm -hmm. That's a true story. And, I, and the person I know was actually on the bus that day. So there, he could probably name the farmer who actually shot the cow in front of the kids on the bus. There you have it. <laughs> there you have it. I just remembered hearing this story and I was like, oh my gosh, it actually happened. <laughs> what 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 do the kids say? Uh, weird flex. Is that is that what that is? <laughs> yeah. Something like that. <laughs> I don't know if they do actually say that. And I just made myself look kind of old and yes. dumb. But uh, <laughs> let's let's move on. Let's move on. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I recommend the movie. I do. I recommend seeing it. But what I've told my friends when they ask me, hey, did you see Eternals? What'd you think? Should I go? I, I've told them, you don't, I, I wouldn't rush out to the theater and, and, and get out there right now because you just have to see this. Like, I'm, I'm not going to say that. But if you like Marvel movies, go for it, you know? And if you, but if you like Marvel movies and you want to wait and watch it at home, I think that that's perfectly valid as well. Yeah. And and I just feel like there's not a rush to get out there. And I'm not going to, to push anyone or rush anyone. And the other thing is most of my friends who have seen it have a very similar reaction. I liked it. <laughs> but that's not, it's not a glowing review, you know, and... Uh, but if I can just say quickly, stylistically, like you were saying, Samantha, it's a beautiful movie. Plot wise, I have some issues. Character wise, yeah. there's a lot of characters and that's one of the, the problems of the movie, but it's also a strength of the movie. Like there's a lot of stuff going on with these characters and they, the director, I feel like is working really hard and the screenwriters uh, working really hard to create a story that you actually care about the characters. And it's not just what are they punching, but why? 
And, and I appreciate that. I really do. And I appreciate some of the things they're trying to say with it. Although I think some, some things kind of contradict other things, but thematically I, I appreciate what they're trying to say. So that's spoiler free for me. Anything else for you, Samantha? Spoiler free? Mm, not at this time. Everything else is spoilers. All right. All right. Well, Samantha, you're the one. Play that spoiler organ. Spoilers. 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 So the spoiler organ has been played, and that means that we are going to spoil this movie. And the other spoiler stuff we really didn't get into in the early part of this episode. But be aware, we might be talking about Thanos (laughs) at the end of this episode because reasons that we will get to. Yes. So let's structure it this way. We will talk about, I think maybe the, the review quadrant that I use sometimes with plot characters, theme and style. And then we will also talk about (laughs) post credits, which is, you know, it's a good part of every, Every narrative, you need some sort of uh, post-credit thing, which for this episode, post-credit, I think we'll be talking a little bit about Dune. I, I That's what I want to talk about is Dune. <laughs> right. I was, I, yeah, just I, in short, I was far more excited about Dune than I was Eternals. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I'll just, I'll just throw it out there. I, I will talk about Dune with anybody, with anybody at all. If anybody wants to talk about Dune, I will talk about Dune with them. Because... Oh, you should join my husband's family. Anyways, we'll oh, talk about it later. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> yes. I have no problem with talking about Dune. So we will do that post-credit. But to talk a little bit about Dune right now, I did find it very interesting, like I said, that our that our local theater took the risk for two weekends with Dune, but not with Eternals. But one of the things with the Eternals trailers, as I'm watching those trailers, I'm I'm thinking, is this movie going to scratch that itch for me, that sci-fi itch that I was also looking at Dune and hoping it would also scratch? And just to throw it out there, okay, no, I, I we will, we'll talk about it when I when we talk about Dune, but I loved it, <laughs> so. Uh, Eternals didn't go quite as far as something like Dune or some other masterpieces of science fiction cinema, but it does go there somewhat. It talks about celestials and opens up cosmic ideas and it gets big. And, you know, it's, it's also this, timeline of human history that it's following along with. And my biggest complaint is that this movie is so big and so long, but my seven word movie review of this movie is sense of wonder and sense of slowness. There there was just a, it just felt long. It felt slow and it shouldn't, it shouldn't have felt long and felt slow. And this is coming from a person who has watched the movie 2001, I want to say seven or eight times. And I've watched the movie (laughs) 
And and so when I say this, if you know, you know, I've watched the movie Solaris, not the George Clooney version, the original Russian version. I've watched the movie Solaris four times and enjoyed it every time. And I did not fast forward through the driving scene. And if you know, you know, if you don't know, there is like a 10 minute scene. It's just of. It's just being, it's just someone filming a car driving down the road and it's, and, and I believe the director put it there intentionally to test the endurance of his audience. I believe that that was intentionally there for that reason. If I remember correctly, I've watched the movie stalker by the same director, Russian sci-fi movie. I love it. I've seen it three times. I can endure slow movies if they've got my sense of wonder, but for some reason, this felt long and felt at times tedious. And this is a movie that has superhero fights, you know, it's a movie that has a lot going on with it. And then they decide to slow it down a bit. I mean, I realize that we're in a generation where the pace of movies are much, much faster compared to 20 years ago, much faster much faster. But if you're going to make it a little bit slow, make it interesting. But when I was sitting through this movie, I kept thinking one, it doesn't feel like it's really earned the story and earned the relationships. And the other was, I felt like this needed to be more than one movie. Yes. So is that solution is the solution to make it longer? I would say sometimes, yes. Sometimes the solution is not to try and cram more things and make it happen faster. I think sometimes the solution is let it breathe. Let yeah. it breathe. Let these characters do their thing. And, and the other thing, th- this is a style thing here. The flashbacks got a little, little much, you know, and, and, Oh my gosh, the flash! Not just the flashbacks, the timeline that they set up but, did not make sense. But why not? And, and I know. Okay, so nonlinear storytelling is a very common trope to use, you know. And how many movies do you watch where it starts where, you know, the character is in a really bad spot? And then says to the screen, I bet you're wondering how I got here, you know. And, oh, Deadpool. <laughs> okay, I don't know about Deadpool, but I do know Deadpool about does like, it. Like, a lot of movies movie. do that. You know, they, they do that because they know we got a slow start. We got an origin story to tell. And Yeah, but Deadpool does it ironically. And they, they make a point of pointing out, hey, we're starting in the middle right here. Let's go. <laughs> and, and when it's done well, it you don't even notice it. You don't even care. Because you're like, oh, wow, that's that's weird. And then, oh, now we're back here. But, you know, I I like Pulp Pulp Fiction. I do. And part of the charm of Pulp Fiction is the nonlinear storytelling. But after Pulp Fiction, it felt like that was the go to. And and for this movie, I wonder how much different it would be if they were able to let it breathe. Spend more time in the past. And doing it in a linear way. Now the mysteries aren't there, and but Shang Chi does the same thing. You know, they they start the movie. Here's a flashback, 
And then they move to the present day and we get to follow our character. And then we get the difference is we're dealing with one character or at least one hub of, of relationship. And, and with Eternals, you've got so many threads. Yeah. So what's the solution? I don't know. That's the, the, that's the puzzle that the filmmakers and the directors had to crack was how do we do a movie about nine people? And, and we don't have the built in knowledge of the relationships there. You know, even I, I've read a couple eternal comics. I don't know who I'm watching. I know Gilgamesh has been the, in the Avengers. I know that. And, but Sprite, like if you were to tell me there's a Marvel movie with Sprite in it, I'm thinking of shadow cat. I'm thinking of Kitty pride. Cause I, I believe she was called Sprite at one time. I might be wrong about that, but that's where my mind goes. And yeah. And, and then you throw Superman and the flash in there and it's, you don't have the built in relationships. You don't. And if, it's just, I, I just didn't connect with these characters as well as I wished I could have. And uh, there's a lot of really fantastic characters in this or, or actors in this movie. Mm-hmm. I just felt like maybe they should have taken the script, tossed it out the window, and then taken the same ideas and reworked the re- rework, just start it over from the beginning. Because sometimes you need that clean slate, have the story like mull over in your head, but have the but swipe what you got clean and just start over again. But here's what I would guess, honestly, I, I think they probably did do that. I mean that that's part of the movie making process is yeah uh, sometimes to do that. I I just. Man, I'm imagining this. What if they had this team of creators and they had this group of actors and they had (laughs) the story structure of Inhumans? And what I mean by that is an IMAX movie leading into a Disney plus series. And, and you would have had to, if you, if you did that, you probably still would do the time jumps. You probably still would do the flashbacks. It would probably feel more like lost in that sense where you're, you're because every episode is going to have flashbacks, you know, Yeah. but you can let the characters breathe. You can let the characters get to know each other. You can care about who, who loves who, you know, and because, uh, Man, I'm going to forget names. Uh, I believe, yeah, Icarus. I won't forget his name because he flew into the sun. <laughs> and so, Or so Sprite said. Well, we saw him go into the sun. Whether he's alive or not is another thing. But we actually did see him go into the sun, at least on the edge. Yeah. And, um, but we didn't see, you know, no body, no death, right? Yeah. He, he's not dead until there's a body. Of course, you fly into the sun and you're dead. You, there's not going to be a body, but yeah, uh, I'm going to remember Icarus though because he did. He flew into the sun, <laughs> and uh, Icarus and I can't remember the Cersei. Cersei. So here's where I want to insert Game of Thrones because Stuart and I, neither of us, really looked into these characters before going into the theater, and we were we're like. Hello, Game of Thrones left and right, because you have Richard Madden and Kit Harrington who play cousins in, in Game of Thrones. 
And they're reuniting in this film for about two scenes. Um, Kit Harrington actually is not in this movie a lot, but somehow he's um, on IMDb. At least he's fifth build above most of the Eternals. He's important to the future of some MCU stuff that's coming up. Yeah. If Eternals even gets a sequel. Ah, we'll, we'll yeah. talk about it. We'll, we yeah. Eternals does not need a sequel for us to see Kit Harrington again. Yeah. Uh, and I'll tell you why when we get to the, the post credit stuff, because there's a bit of information I'm going to drop on you that I hope you don't know yet, which is why I told you don't look it up because I wanted to hear you respond to this information. Okay. But you know, if you have heard it, then please pretend or something. I don't know. But, but anyway, uh, keep haven't. going. Yeah. With um, the game of Thrones connections. Yeah. And Cersei is also the name of one of the main characters in game of Thrones. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, though her, I'm looking at the cast list now, though the spelling's very different. I think in Game of Thrones, it's more of the Greek style where it's uh, C-E-R-S-I, I think. Sounds right. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Forgive me. I only listened to the audiobooks of Game of Thrones. I did not actually read them. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's that. But I think that casting and just the name Cersei is the only thing that really sparked Game of Thrones connections. But every time we heard the name Cersei, we're, we keep going back to somebody who's really cruel. But here in this movie, Cersei, this character is actually really kind and wanting to save everybody as opposed to destroy everything in order to keep her power. Yeah. Yeah. So that relationship, they they spent time on it, and mm-hmm. and I'm wondering, like, if we had a series, would we care about that relationship more? Because that was an important important part of this this movie, and I I want to just make sure you know if you're listening right now and you're yelling at me because you're like, why are you being so negative? I I'm not the the movie makers had a lot of stuff that they had to do to make this work. And it wasn't even your typical Marvel thing where the movie makers have a lot of stuff they have to do because they have to introduce Spider-Man for another movie and they have to introduce this for this. And they have to make sure that they include an infinity stone. And they have to make sure they include this and that. I feel like the story was able to be its own story. And it's interesting because the story that we get is them talking about, well, why couldn't we do anything with Thanos to help with Thanos. And then the rest of the movie is them doing uh, fighting a bad guy where none of the Avengers come and help, (laughs) you know, because partially because nobody knows what's going on, but they never went to the Avengers to ask for help. Yeah. And also these characters are either 7,000 or 5,000 years old, depending on which character you're talking to at any given moment. Cause they kept going back and forth on how, how long they had been around. And but the opening scene, they're they're they land at five thousand BC. Yeah, so they're seven thousand years old. Seven thousand years old, but they also keep talking about when they originally landed five thousand years ago. So somebody can't do math. Well, but some of those some of those conversations were happening fifteen hundred years ago. I'm not even talking about those conversations. I'm talking about the present day conversations. Maybe they're just rounding because if it's if it's 7,000, you round down to five, right? 
<laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. If you're rounding between five and ten, you round down with seven thousand, right? Or something like that. I mean, you're not going to give me a no price for that, Samantha. Mm. No. Okay. All right. I'll, no, I'll, no, no prize for you. I'll, I'll not accept it then. Come back one year. <laughs> <sighs> okay. So, yeah, it, if they'd have been a series, they would have been able to spend, t- we would have been able to spend time with these characters as a couple. Because that's the other thing is th- we never actually see them much as a couple early on in the movie. Now we do see their romance. We do see them fall in love. We do see them get, get married. But at that point, we've also spent more time with them post relationship. And so I, I don't know. I don't, I, I got to stop rewriting the movie though. It's just in my head. This is, this is where I'm going when, as I'm, as I'm thinking about this, but again, they're still with all the history stuff where they're, they're dealing with people in, in this time and they're in Babylon and then, you know, all these different things that are happening. It's engaging. It's engaging my sense of wonder. It's engaging, you know, that, that part of my brain that loves big, high concept sci-fi ideas. And there are a lot of big, high concept sci-fi ideas in this movie. And I love them. It's, it's, it's enjoyable. I, I, I'm enjoying myself, uh, but I'm also hearing myself ask questions (laughs) and especially after the fact. But there's also timeline issues too, like uh, Dane early on in the movie after he meets. Uh, he, so Dane's with Cersei, and they meet Icarus. And Dane asks Cersei, "How long ago were you two together? Or how long were you two together?" And she said, five thousand years." Well, yes, sort of. I mean, they were together as a group for about five thousand years, and then uh, Icarus decided to leave. Um. But realistically, she and Icarus were only in a serious romantic relationship for about 1,500. That's a big time difference. Yeah. I, yeah. Th- and Those details like, escaped me. I, I did not notice those details. Yeah. And um, I mean, I've had past relationships with a couple of friends who I was friends with them for a long time. Then we dated for a short period. We broke up. And then we just continued to, to be friends. When I say that this person is an ex, I don't include all the time I was with them as a friend before. I just just include the time that we were very seriously committed as friends or as a, as a couple, as a romantic couple. So, I mean, like I said, I can see how in some interpretations, yes, five thousand years is a right is a correct answer, but as a romantic couple, no, it's not. So it's just. I wish there was a little bit more clarity in that answer. Yeah. And, and I, so we see the romance, but I just would, I would have liked to have spent more time with them. Uh, on mm-hmm. the flip side though, Icarus and Thena, I don't know about you, but that relationship I loved, like, Really? That that worked for me. Yeah. And I, I don't know why. I don't know what the difference is between these two other than the kinds of things that were happening with the relationship. So like with with Thena and Icarus, you have two who, people who are in love, but, you know, he's dealing with helping her with, her, you know, the disease that she's dealing with. And he's 
he's taking care of her while she's, you know, having to, you know, worry about, am I going to kill him or not? And I, I, I don't know. I, I just, for some reason, that one resonated more with me and his death resonated more with me because of, of their relationship. Do you mean Gilgamesh and Thena? Sorry. Yes. I mean, Gilgamesh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay, because I was like, Icarus. Icarus really wasn't no. that involved in taking care of Thena, but Gilgamesh was. No, Gilgamesh and Thena, that relationship to me was uh, more engaging, and yeah, and their how it ended up with him dying had more emotional, uh, more emotional pull with me. Um, that said, her revenge that she got didn't. <laughs> And I think yeah. part of it is not because of the way it got played, although that, that might've been part of it, but I think part of it is because like it was empty for her and, and I think it was supposed to feel empty, I think. And it yeah. did. <laughs> so Which makes me not feel committed to that storyline. Because if the character is not feeling it and you don't show the character feeling it, chances are the the audience is not going to be involved in the plot line mentally. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was I was in that that relationship there. So, uh, but, but yeah, I liked Thena and Gilgamesh together. And then if I go to uh, Messenger, I'm going to take a look at Stuart. He sent some messages. He says. Uh, enjoyed it, but was taken out by the idea that Rob Stark was all about Cersei. If you know, you know. And <laughs> then he said, uh, I, I wanted to pin him down. I said two questions, thumbs up or thumbs down. And is this in the top half of MCU movies or bottom half of MCU movies? And he said, thumbs up, bottom half, but only because I didn't know the characters. I feel like they did a fantastic job being inclusive. Love Fastos and his husband and child. And then I said, bottom half doesn't mean bad review. And he says, nope, I just didn't know the characters. But it was interesting to see the Justice League archetypes play out so yeah and he did say that he preferred this did i say this already that he preferred the the justice league or he preferred this movie over justice league uh you did not say that so did he he oh yeah you guys were talking about there was there was a period of of messaging that was happening that was just a lot and i could not follow it Oh, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. But he said, yeah, he came out and he said, well, that was better than Justice League. And I was, and I said, yeah, but not by much. Here's okay. Here's what he said. Saturday, 730. Hey, look, it's a better Justice League movie than Justice League. <laughs> and you said Eternals. And he said, yeah, just finished waiting on the end credit. Thor two is still the worst. And then you said, don't spoil, don't spoil, don't spoil uh-huh. uh, to yourself. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then and then you said please let me know when you finish i have an appropriate oh here's your your oh, yeah, that's, that's uh, when your, i spammed your, you guys gif that you <laughs> gif gif that you did was uh the black knight yeah, winter is coming yeah. <laughs> that's involving the the final after credit <laughs> and then he says seriously cersei and you said i know with a Ross Giff. <laughs> he said that took me out of the movie. I liked it, but that took me out. And 
then you said, I had so many things take me out of the movie, but you're right. That it was still better than Justice League by a bit. And he said there was Superman. There was Flash. There was Wonder Woman. Not sure who was Batman. And I believe that you are suggesting that maybe Kit Harrington was Batman. Yeah, because he's the guy without powers. Yeah. Which we'll yeah. talk about him. Yes. We'll talk about him. Um, and then he mentions the Shang-Chi giveaway that we need to do that we haven't done yet because he hasn't been on an episode and I wanted him to be on an episode. And he mentioned, let's wait until after it's on Disney plus. So more people can get involved in it. And I'm just going to throw it out there to you, everyone. If you have not had a chance to send us a message about Shang-Chi at this point, all you have to do is send us a message about what you thought about Shang-Chi and you get into the the drawing here for this Shang-Chi toy who has weapons that he spins around and, Stuart bought it because he wanted to do a giveaway for the podcast. So send a message to our Facebook page or to studio Avery at gmail.com because that is our new email address that we have to use right now. And I will tell more about that when we talk about feedback. All right. So all that said, um, We've talked about some of the characters. We talked about some of the things we didn't like. We talked about some of the things we did like with them. Is there anything more character wise that you wanted to mention uh, before we get into this, this more of the style stuff? Um. Yeah. There's one character I want to talk about who's actually in a post credit. I will wait and leave that. <laughs> Androids. So here's another plot issue I have. Um, or just a filmmaking issue that I have. The mm-hmm. opening scene, the language I was getting across from the screen was that these are androids sent from a very distant location in the universe. And they were awakened once they arrived at Earth. Mm-hmm. And later on in the movie, the and, and when they get to Earth, they think that they're actual living, breathing, organic beings. But when they, after 7,000 years, they learn that they're actually androids which I felt that that revelation would have been served better by not having those film contextual clues in the very first scene that said that they were androids. So I feel like they were biological androids though. Right. I mean, they're eternal. They're eternal (laughs) androids, but I mean, I I get the, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. They're not organically made. Um, maybe some organic material, but I mean, or, or maybe some complex thing that, you know, only a celestial would understand, but they were definitely built. They were built and they were programmed and then they were wiped, but I get the feeling that it's kind of a, a complex creation process that involves using biological matter material because I, they all I, I believe they think that they're all living, breathing creatures. Right. And I, and I think some of that is because they have, and they're able to, to form, you know, physical relationships with, with others and yeah. with humans. Yeah. But my concern is that I don't think the filmmakers really understood what they were and they didn't, and therefore, they didn't define that on the screen. I thought I felt it was important to define that reveal, you know, have the characters learn that information as the audience is learning it. And 
Because that little orb going into Selma Hayek's chest, to me, I mean, that translated, oh, these are, oh, or when that happened, that's when all the characters woke up on the ship. That, to me, said that these were all androids. And I picked up on that very quickly. And it's just. It's interesting because I didn't. So for, I, I just for me, they, I knew yeah, they had they they been created, so but. Yeah, it was just obvious to me from the first scene, and I was not shocked when they got to the reveal scene that they were all androids. And or, yeah, I was. Just, it, it was another plot thing that just irked me really, really bad. The more shocking plot thing was supposed to be that they find out they're actually there for an evil reason. And yeah, some of that works for me, and some of it did not work for me. And, and that's where there was a, a little bit of another inconsistency maybe was just in how this whole plot worked for them, you know, and where they're there and they're supposed to not interfere except to protect humanity from the deviants. But they're creating technology and giving it to humanity and allowing humanity to fight wars based on the technology that they've given them. And I know there's kind of a tension there that was brought out with uh, Fastos, or Fastos yeah. um, where he's giving them, he wanted to give them a steam engine, you know, and <laughs> that, that's funny. It, oh, here. Okay, fine. Here's a, here's a plow. Here's a plow. <laughs> here's what, your, here's your basic things, mule pulled you know? plow. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then you have the scene and, and this is where, I wish we had more time with this movie because I feel like this scene should have evoked more of a sense of, of just bigness and, and, and the, the issue that they're dealing with where it's, it's uh, Hiroshima and, and, and Faustus is crying because he helped them get there with the technology. Well, that's actually absolutely against the plan that they're supposed to be like not interfering and he helped them create a weapon that could potentially destroy all life on the planet. You know, the, the whole cold war existed because people were worried that we were going to blow each other up and we had enough nuclear weapons to destroy the world. How many times over? And so, okay. Like I, I like the character movement that we have with this with this guy, um, but it wasn't earned because well because I'm scratching my head about the the plan you know and mm -hmm. um yeah and and yeah. this is where it's just because it's moving so quickly from place to place to place that man I wish we could have spent more time with that and I guess if you're gonna have a problem with a movie. The problem with your movie that you want to have is where people are saying, I wish I had spent more time in your movie. And, and that's what I was wishing that I could spend more time in this movie, not because I wanted it to be slower, but because I wanted to, yeah, get to know these people. Get to yeah, know I wanted people. to spend more time in your movie that moved really, really slow. And it was almost three hours long. But I feel like it wouldn't be as long or wouldn't feel as long if it was a little bit longer, if it was taking us to places that we were able to like be immersed in it. Yeah. 
I, fe- I felt like either with the script or with editing, and I'm pretty sure it's with editing, that if you had somebody who had a fresh pair of eyes to come in and looked at either, that you may have probably editing, that we may have had a better movie. But I just feel like it's, yeah, now that I think about it out loud, yes, it was editing, which was the issue is that, yeah, there's a lot of time just visually looking at things and marveling at the beauty of the style and not enough time really dealing with the emotions of the characters and what their yeah. what their story is and what they're going through at that moment and what they're feeling at that moment. But but the feelings were definitely there, you know, and and, and that's one of the things that I, I would give praise to this movie for is that it was trying to show us emotional fallout and was trying to show us relational moments, you know, and, and you know, there's, a, there's a lot of crying and, mm-hmm. and if you're going to look at like the villains, so if you're looking at the deviants right now as, as villains, there was actually an opportunity for the deviants to make the case that, Hey, yeah, we're, we're villains cause we kill people, but you kill us. And, and we're only killing people because that's how we were created. <laughs> like they didn't mean oh, for so us to clumsy. be created like this, but you know, and so they're trying to make these mindless monsters be able to speak, you know, and they need the Lorax to speak for who will speak for the deviants. <laughs> but, um, but more than that, I did appreciate and understand Icarus and him doing the heel turn where it's just, this is what I understand. This is our mission. And now that I know our mission, I feel bad because I can't let anyone else know. And that's, that's why he breaks up with, with Cersei is because he has to hold this truth and he can't lie to her anymore. And so he's, he's doing that. I wish they had actually, I, is it me or did they not actually show the scene where he comes to that realization? Cause I don't remember seeing about that. I remember that he and Ajax talked about it later. Yeah. And, and then he just knows I, what, the, when they're talking about it. Yeah. And it's just, I felt like we needed to actually see the moment where he comes to that realization. And that's why he left Cersei and the other Eternals. You know, I, I'd rather be shown than told why a character does something. And there's a lot of telling in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of telling in this movie. But again, that's that's the trick, you know, and, and that's the that's the puzzle that the filmmakers had to solve here is how do we get all this story on the screen? And you have two solutions. One is more story. And I guess the other is less story. Let's let's cut things, you know, let's cut characters, cut character arcs. And, um, yeah, it's just a very difficult nut to crack. So the question is, was he really a villain or was he just angry because he was a pawn? Uh, I think he was angry because he had made choices that were wrong choices. Yeah. Like you could see, and okay. So I liked this part where they're in the ship and he's having to deal with, I killed Ajak and now I can't lead this team because I have that secret that I have to hold. And Ajak didn't choose me to lead them. 
which, you know, she's not going to choose her murderer <laughs> to lead them. And, and he has to deal with the, the evil that he's done in the service of what he thought was good and what he thought was right. And there's an interesting line that Cersei says, and I, I love the line, but then you start thinking about this movie and is it contradicting itself? You know, it's a thematic important line and the line is when she says if innocent people have to be sacrificed then you're doing something evil and i love the idea right so if if you have to sacrifice someone for a greater good then your greater good is probably not the greater good yeah you know and so this is this is the superman uh, conundrum, you know, with, with uh, man of steel, even where he had to kill Zod to stop Zod from killing more people. Should he have done that? Would he have done something different? Um, and some people say, well, the Superman I want to see is a Superman who finds a different way to stop Zod, you know? And, and for me, it's, <laughs> you know, Zack Snyder wants to tell this story that he's going to tell, but honestly, Superman could have just put his arm in front of uh, Zod's eyes and <laughs> held him in a different way. You know, the the, the beams aren't going to go through his arm uh, because he's he's Superman or, you know, but and it's the same with Doctor Who. Doctor Who, the doctor finds a way there. You know, he when he's faced with a no win scenario of this versus that, I can kill the dragon or I can save the people and the doctor says, no, I'm going to do both, you know, and, because I have a time machine. Right. Yeah. And I have a yeah. sonic screwdriver and, and blah, 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 whatever it is. But it's, you know, that's the story that they're choosing to tell. And you look at the say, what she's saying, if innocent people have to die for the greater good, then it's not a greater good. I can't remember the exact line that she, she actually gave, but that's uh, what, the idea behind it. But then you look at what happens at the end of this movie for them to serve the greater good and save the earth. They kill an innocent being. They kill a newborn celestial. And in my mind, I understand what's happening in the movie. But for me as a writer, I'm thinking, no, 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 no. They find a way to do it different. You know, don't fight to kill this thing. You fight to, to transport this thing. That's where my mind goes. I, I was expecting yeah. them to maybe find a way to like transport the thing out of out of Earth or whatever and, and find a different way. And, and this is it's the Silver Surfer problem, too, which is another created problem where we've already gone some places here with this movie that they can't replicate now in the Fantastic Four with Galactus, if they bring, if they're going to bring Galactus in, because um, they just stopped a cosmic pro, uh, problem that wanted to feed on all humanity. Well, that's what Galactus does. You know, it comes to the planet, consumes all its resources and people, and then go. He sends a herald to go, and so Silver Surfer's thing was he didn't want to let the Earth be destroyed, and so he has to find a way to get around it. You know, and. And so that's where my mind was going. It's like, they're going to find a way to get that thing out of there. They're not going to kill this baby celestial, which isn't as cute as baby Yoda. All right. I'll, I'll grant you that. But, um, 
it just, to me, didn't sit well, especially after she said that thing about innocence. And, you know, unless a celestial is born fully formed and with full knowledge that I want to be born so I can kill things <laughs> or whatever. But um, I just found it interesting that that's where they went with this. And then they turn around and they they have to kill the innocent and then they they kill the deviant as well. You know, uh, Athena kills the deviant, and even though the deviant's been making the case for why I have I have every right to exist as the same way that you do, um, and it's like a lion, you know, or a shark. You know, if, if in Jaws four, the shark actually could talk and say, "Hey, now you killed my family. I'm only doing this because you killed my family, and I I just want revenge, you know, and so that's why I'm here." Um, that's what's happening in this movie is this this thing is able to talk to them and say. Hey, you're you're killing my people. And, and by the way, speak- Jaws Four, the book actually has a psychic link between Brody's wife and the shark. Oh, good grief! Yeah, there's. <laughs> I haven't read it. I've just heard about it, and I really want to find a copy somewhere. They're not cheap, the ones that I've found. But I'm glad they cut it for the movie. <laughs> but the movie makes less sense because they they cut out this whole voodoo psychic thing. Mm. <laughs> but you almost got the scene that I described. Hey, man, you're killing my family. Yeah. Oh, was it Makari who was speaking to, or or could hear the um, the deviants, or what they were thinking or feeling? Well, they actually started talking. Yeah, but before that, there was one of the Eternals that said that they could hear that one deviant who was starting to develop more. I think that that was Sprite. Was it? Okay. Where she said, I I feel like it almost started to talk or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Because Makari was the Duff character. And I realized, I mean... I, I had seen her on screen. Yeah, here's this character who's deaf and moves really fast. But she literally does nothing to advance the plot until the, what, the fourth act? <laughs> Actually, there's a huge chunk in the movie where I totally forgot she was even in the movie. Right, because she was just living on the ship. Yeah. And it was so confusing when he steps on a bag of chips. And I was like, why is there – did, like, litter just blow in the door and then no, she's living there. Like it's her, it's her mess. <laughs> so here's another issue I have too. Okay, yeah, I do believe in inclusivity um, when you can. But however, this was, I mean, between the gay characters, um, of course, you know, characters of different races, especially in a story that's spanning the entire globe. And then you have a deaf character, which I am not against because I have had relatives who have hearing serious hearing impairment issues. But there's just so much going on here and that there's literally no room to have them be in, all and in, be involved in the plot. And therefore, it's too much going on that you have a character here who does nothing really to advance the story. Except maybe run around and say, oh, this character's over here. I mean, she also fought Icarus. 
almost to a standstill. And she was able to feel vibrations that other people around her were saying. And so she was able to, you know, know things, you know, this is what happens when you have a big cast, you know, and this is, yeah. And you know, this is actually what I worried about when it came to the early Avenger movies. I worried about there being too many characters that somebody is not involved as much as the other characters. And that's what happened to Makari. And that's why I didn't like the involvement of her character to begin with, because she's not used that much. She's barely there. And therefore, is that really inclusive inclusivity? If you're barely including this character? Uh, I, I, I liked her. She was funny. She, the one thing I found interesting, I I know people who learn ASL and do ASL interpretation. Mm -hmm. And I actually took an ASL class for two semesters. I, but I don't know it very well, but I do reckon, I did recognize some of the signs. And one of the things when they were talking about time back in Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia, um, they use the, what looked to me like the ASL sign for time, which is to tap your wrist where there's a watch. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, Oh, you know, I, and, uh, and they have, they have two choices. You know, do they go the route of black bolt where Anson Mount is actually inventing a sign language, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. You know, I love that he did that and got so into character. Um, or do you use actual language? that's been created by people to use for actual communication in real life. And and that's probably the most likely and, and maybe the, the best route to go is to, is to use that. Um, but it did create an anachronism where she's referring to time tapping on the wrist and then, you know, but watches have not been invented yet, obviously. But fastest is going to create that later and, in- and it's in a subconscious somewhere. So that's okay. Yeah. But, and and yeah. The other, the, here's, here's the no prize. You know, the no prize is the same reason that, you know, they speak English in star Wars. It's called basic or whatever, but they, they, they speak English in star Wars. Why? Because we're actually seeing the translation for us, the viewer. And you could say the same thing for her sign language, that the sign language was actually, you know, it's the English translate or the ASL translation of what her sign language would have been back then. Because the other thing is, I believe that her sign language was probably invented by her. Mm, You know, the rest of the team knows it and understands it and can understand what she's saying. But back then those cultures probably had some form of hand communication before verbal languages were created and so maybe she was, you know, using that, but I bet that she actually invented her, her language. Uh, and how cool would that be to actually, you know, see that happen? Uh, yeah. But then again, she might've also just been, had the knowledge implanted. Yeah. They, they all had, they all had language knowledge when they came out of their creation or whatever. Yeah. Well, and if you know the the history of a, or, or sign language in general, you know that American sign language is very different from British sign language. And was it, there's no, I believe in Braille for the longest time, there was no W. Oh, I, don't um, know. I don't know about that. 
or something like that. Um, but yeah, it, it just was yeah, something that struck me funny as I'm watching. I was like, Hey, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> hey, there there's very many dialects and often they were these dialects for, or specific languages were created in small communities. Um, I think Martha's vineyard for a long time had a, had a, really notable size deaf community on the island before it became a destination place for the rich and famous up until the early 20th century. And it was just, it, that was just a second language to just about everybody on the island. Everybody on the, on the island spoke English in sign language. And you would sometimes see hearing people having conversations with one another in sign language, just because it may have just been easier to speak across a noisy room that way. So but I mean, yeah, I mean, I think they could have gone either way with using American Sign Language or just making up a, a, a whole new sign language for her. I, I, I feel like they went the right direction. It just it just stuck yeah. out to me. Um, but at this point, I'm like, whatever, <laughs> whatever works. Because, like I said, she's barely in the movie. And I yeah. feel like they could have gotten around her plot points by doing something else with a different character. But it's just, your 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 question yeah. is valid. Is it inclusion if they're not included? You know? and, yeah. But I would say your question is valid. But my answer is yeah. I mean, they, obviously they're focusing on a couple characters at the top. You know, you have Ajax and you have Icarus and you have uh, Cersei, and those are kind of your three primary leads. And and then Cersei falls away, obviously, because she gets killed. Um, mm-hmm. you have Sprite in there. Oh, you mean Ajak is killed. Yeah, Ajak is killed. Yeah. yeah. I, I told you I was going to mess these names up. Yeah. Um, and you have Sprite in there and she's got her own story arc. I feel like everyone kind of has at least a bit of, uh, a story arc that they're going through. Some of them are more, you know, upfront than others. Sprites was interesting. It's that classic kind of immortal vampire, uh, thing, where she's stuck in this child's body and, you know, from her first scene in, in modern day until the last scene where she's turned into human. Cause here's the thing I'm wondering what's going to happen in the sequel, because the sequel is going to be two, three, four years away. This young lady is not going to be a young lady anymore. <laughs> she's going to be a teenager. She might even be and you know, a 20 something by the time that they're able to, to film the next movie. I don't know how old she is now, uh, but she looks a lot older in some things that I've seen than she does in, in this movie. And, but, but anyway, what are they going to do? Well, science fiction, they fixed it. You know, where she's, she's human now. Now, where are they going to go with that? I don't know, but that does create some potential story arc in the future where maybe she asks for her powers back or something. I don't know, but she asks for them back when she's older and they don't have to like do any kind of CGI madness to make her not age when you're dealing with, you know, a 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 year old who's just growing up, you know? Yeah. Man, speaking of growing up, watching the Ghostbusters trailer and seeing uh finn finn wolf oh from stranger things yeah that kid looks so old and then i watched the stranger things four and i can't even recognize some of these kids (laughs) 
It's like they're all grown up now. Yeah. Well, and I'm actually dealing with that with my own children right now anyway. Oh, okay. Um, They're all just getting older, you know, and, and, you know, I'll just throw it out there briefly. It's hard. (laughs) It's hard right now watching my kids grow up and not be kids anymore and realizing, oh, there was a day when that was the last day I ever picked up my child. And I'll never pick them up again unless there's some sort of weird emergency where they break their leg and I have to carry them to a car or something to get them to the hospital. Very specific uh, imagining that I had <laughs> a very specific hypothetical. But yeah, I remember the last time my dad picked me up because my dad said, Oh, you're getting too heavy for me to pick up now. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why it was the last time, you know? Yes. So. <laughs> well, and I just recently picked up my 10 year old and who actually turns 11 tomorrow. But um, oh, happy birthday. I, I picked him up and I was just like, Oh, yeah, I don't think I'm picking you up anymore. I didn't say it to him, but in my mind, I'm I'm it registered with me. Oh, that might be the last time that I pick this kid up. So anyway, time passes, but not if you're an eternal. And that's where that whole idea of okay, the, I mean, this is Highlander, right? Where they're all living through all these historical things, but any relationship that they have with any human on Earth is super temporal compared to, or to super temporary compared to their lifespan. Yeah. And it's one of the things, you know, Highlander, not a great TV show, but good enough. A B movie, but good. You know, it's, it's a classic for a reason. It's a cult classic for a reason. And and I liked the movie and the idea of, of what was behind that. But, um, that's that's what shines to me is this okay if someone lives forever what are the ramifications well the, the result if someone is living forever is queen sings a song about who wants to live forever you know when when people die and um again it's a big idea that this movie tries to tries to get into and it doesn't fail it just Wish it was a little, a little more time with that. A little more time. Just a little bit. Yeah. All right. So we've talked about characters. I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about that. We talked about plot a little bit, you know, and, and. Or lack thereof, it seems, or. (laughs) I, here's, here's the thing. The the plot is it's the blues brothers, right? You know, it's the, it's the blues brothers, except instead of getting the band back together so they can save the school is getting the band back together so they can save the earth, you know, and they're not putting on a concert to raise money or whatever. They're, they're stopping a a celestial from, (laughs) from birthing itself. Yeah. Yeah. Now that I think about it, this movie is more like, um, imagine the germs that live on the outside shell of an egg right before the egg hatches and the germs trying to stop the egg from hatching. But succeeding, like that's where it but gets. But succeeding, because yeah. <laughs> it caused an infection or something. And that's what Icarus, you know, he's understandable. He's talking about how, well, this is our mission because this is the natural thing of the universe. And the question gets brought up, like, what about all of the life forms that are never going to know life because we stop this here? And obviously... Obviously, we all know it has to be stopped. 
It has to be stopped. We're not going to sacrifice humanity for, you know, a potential out there. We have to stop this evil from happening. I just expected the them to stop it in a different way. Um, now, visually, though, stylistically, stunning. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. Practically speaking, how is this thing having birthed as much as it has or broken through the eggshell as much as it have has, how is this not created so much more devastation around the world? As far as we know, there was an earthquake around the world that was unusual. And, and that happened. Um, I also wonder, I know people were talking about from when they talk in, uh, uh, Infinity War about how there was a some sort of earthquake. I, I didn't go back to look and see. I know people were talking about, oh, that's that's Submariner, you know, causing some problem in the sea. But you know, this could have been when when Captain Marvel and they're all making their reports to, to Black Widow and they talk about, ah, oh, there's something happened in this this Indian Ocean or whatever. I don't know, but. Huh. Is this um in the final fight sequence? What? Did that happen during the final fight sequence? No, that happened when they're all making reports to Black Widow after right after they've they say five years later, and we see the Black Widow's been a big part of um kind of helping keep the world in, in order. Okay. I, I will go back and rewatch that tomorrow. Yeah. But I yeah, I totally forgot about that. So anyway, it's visually stunning. Plot-wise, it doesn't feel like Mm-mm. it works, but then and then thematically, you have this this team finally coming back together and putting all of their powers back together and it's all for this moment. Like these people, this group was intended to be a group because they could come together and work together and their powers complement each other. And if nothing else, that's, that's important. And they then come together and, and funnel their power through through Cersei. So she's able to turn the, the, the celestial into stone and yeah, it, it all works. It all comes together. It all fits together and you can see that they've worked on the story beats. You can see that they've worked on like, how do we bring this team together? How do they all solve the problem together? What's their team moment where we say, yeah, go team. Um, and and then after it's all done, the team gets split up again. Icarus goes to the sun. Some people get in a ship and fly away. And some people stay on earth to talk to their boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> Who has been doing his family history while she was gone. That was awkward line, awkward delivery. (laughs) Um, When we're sitting in the theater, though, and he's talking and they're singing happy birthday to the guy at the beginning of the movie. I'm like, did he did they say Dane? And uh, Evan said, no, they said Dave. And then later on, no, they said Dane, Dane Whitman. That's Black Knight. Like, that's that's a fairly big C list character from, from Marvel. And, 
he's he's been an Avenger. He's he was when Marvel bought Malibu Comics and took over the Ultraverse, which I'm a huge fan of. The Ultraverse. Um, they had a few Marvel characters move over into the Ultraverse, including in, uh, creating a, a seventh Infinity Stone, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, but Black Black Knight was a character ripped out of the Marvel universe to be in this other universe as Marvel's representative representative to um, he's part of ultra force. And um, so I know him from that. I mean, this is a, this is a character who's been around and has, has, has done stuff. He has a magic sword, the ebony blade, which they mentioned earlier um, when uh, Athena has a sword and she's swinging around and Sprite says, is that the ebony blade? And the and Athena says, "No, it's Excalibur." Oh yeah, King Arthur always had a crush on you, you know. <laughs> and it's just things like that where you're like, "Oh man," you know. And actually, now that I think of it, the Highlander is probably the template for the TV show we would have gotten if this was a TV show, where we're we're seeing them in the present day, and then we see a flashback to a certain time period. Yeah. But. Though, um, going back to that conversation, um, Stuart and I had over the messenger. When after he finished uh, seeing the final uh, after credit, I sent in succession, not exactly in order in the scene, but I sent him gifs from uh, Monty yeah. Python's and the Holy Grail of the the scene with the Black Knight mm-hmm. as he was losing limbs. Yeah, just merely merely a, scre- a flesh wound or things like that, and 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 Stuart was like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> and so I replied back again with another uh, gif from um, of Jon Snow from Game of Thrones being very, very cold. And he's like, and he and Stuart was just totally lost in that yeah. conversation. Yeah. And then I told him that, yeah, that that he's going to be playing the Black Knight uh, in the MCU. And he's like, oh, OK, I get it now. So, so that's that's an established character, a long running character, an Avenger, honestly. Uh, so is he going to be part of new Avengers? We, we don't know. Um, I mean, let's talk about, I guess the post credits now. We've, we've kind of um, covered almost everything. Question. But, okay. Can the MCU go on without this movie without acknowledging it? I mean, if this movie was absolutely <laughs> just, um, well, yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. This you can still bring Kit Harrington into the rest of the MCU as the Black Knight. I was incredibly surprised how disconnected this this movie felt. Yeah. Now, is it setting up some stuff for the future? That's the question. You know, is is setting up the Celestials? Is is Galactus maybe going to show up as a Celestial? I I don't know, but this is this is a movie that they could end up not referencing this at all. Same with Shang Chi, honestly. They, they could end yeah. up not referencing that movie at all um, because they are very self-contained. And that's, I appreciate that. Well, not, like, not exactly because we had characters from, um, um, we had uh, characters from, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the name is escaping my head right now. Dr. Strange. Yeah, no, you're, um, you're not wrong, but it's, the, these movies were self-contained. And if we never hear from Shang-Chi again, there there is nothing that they set up where you're like, well, wait a minute. Why isn't Shang-Chi showing up for blah, 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 blah. 
we just get this idea that there is something out in space that felt the energy and was replying to it or whatever it might be. I, I, it's been a while since I've seen it, so I don't remember the exact terminology, but um, the Ten Rings activated something out there and something out there knows that they're here. You know, okay, so what does that mean? Yeah. I don't know. And it, they can reference it because it's setting up something. But the movie itself, what I appreciate is it's very self-contained. Same with Eternals, very self-contained. And yeah, if you are watching through the MCU right now and you want to get all the story pieces so you can make sure you know what's going on with everything, if you're doing it right now, you don't have to watch these. Now, when another movie drops and they start referencing the things we've seen here, that that's going to change. And I, that's where we're going to go. You know, they're setting up things for sure. Yeah. It also reminded me a lot of Inhumans, the series. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Cause that, it, that, oh, that, I mean, the characters in that movie, most of them were interesting. It's just, uh, I felt with Inhumans that, a lot of balls were dropped there and I felt the same way with Eternals that there was just not, there was just, I, I just didn't feel like this movie was finished really. The story was, but then they are definitely saying, Hey, but don't worry. There's some sequels coming. <laughs> and I, I'm, if, if those sequels are approved. Right. And, and we'll see black Knight is going to show up. And so here, Here's where, okay. I'm curious because the first post credit, it's the troll and it's Eros. Star, uh, Star Fox. Is that right? Did you recognize the voice of the troll? It felt like Patton Oswalt. It was Patton Oswalt. Oh, okay. So did I recognize it? I'm going to say yes, but the truthful answer is no, because I said it felt like him instead of saying it was him. Uh, why do I? Oh, that's just the top cast. Let me open up. But yeah, I mean, and I realized, okay, this is his third appearance as something on screen Marvel titled. And He's second, a yeah, second in uh, actual MCU thing. But obviously people debate if Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was or is yeah. MCU. So, But, I mean, because he's now been in uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He was in MODOK, and now he's in uh, this movie. So he's, I mean, whether or not you consider those canon, they're still Marvel projects. And therefore, he's this hat trick in these different iterations. And then so, you have... One Direction guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, what's his name? You can tell how old I am just by that comment. <laughs> Harry Styles. Harry Styles. Yeah, and I did not recognize him on screen because hey, I'm not that young anymore. And honestly, if somebody from Backstreet Boys or NSYNC was, was playing this role, there's a 50% chance I would not have rec- recognized them either. So that's how disconnected I am from that style of music. Uh, and the other 50% I know from either just being a huge star or they were on The Masked Singer recently. 
Yeah, so you get Pip, who's a troll, and you get mm-hmm. Star Fox, which is not the fox who tr- flies a spaceship around on your N64. It's uh, it's Thanos' brother. It really is. And then somewhere along the way, they mention that Thanos is part... Well, Harry Styles says, hey, my fellow Eternals, suggesting that he's from another pocket of Eternals, which is why half of the team went in the spaceship, was to find more Eternals, tell them the truth. And then you have this is a big theme sentence that they said. And it was, uh, uh, I can't remember her name, the speedster. She says the truth will set them free. Makari. Yeah. The truth will set them free. And that's why they're going to go out, find other Eternals on other planets, tell them the truth, and and hopefully stop more Celestials from being from being born or whatever. Um, but he pops in and says, I'm Thanos' brother and I'm an Eternal. And what does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. How does this work? He does not look like Thanos' brother. So was it here or did I read it online that that Thanos is descended from a deviant? That would have Which, been online. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. That, I don't okay, think that so they said anything really on screen that suggests okay. that. Because, yeah, I uh, Stuart mentioned it earlier today and I was like, wait, did I read that or was that on screen? And I think that also lends to how much I did not care about what was going on on screen. So. Yeah, if you can't tell, I really did not like this movie. <laughs> I did not. This is my dark, you know, dark world. This is my, this is uh, in humans. I mean, it's just, just, I was so disappointed with this movie. I just, mm, not happy. Not happy, Samantha. No agent, no happy agent over here. I'm sorry. All right. So here's the thing that might get a little bit of a happiness and joy out of you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Other post credit scene. Dane Whitman. He's mm-hmm. just told uh, his girlfriend, hey, it seems like I have a weird family history, too. And it's so awkward and it just doesn't work for me. But this scene sure does where he is looking at the sword. It's a family thing. And it's been passed to him at some point for some reason. And he's looking at it and he's thinking to himself, if I'm going to be able to keep up with the Eternals, if I'm going to be able to help find my girlfriend who was pulled away and disappeared because of this giant face that appeared in the sky that gave a warning basically to say, it's a cue warning. Here's our Star Trek reference. You know, hey, I'll be watching or whatever. If I'm going to keep up, I got to be something big. I got to be something important. And so he's looking at the sword and he's getting himself psyched up and he's like, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to touch it now. And it starts moving and you got the stuff happening here. And he says, you could do this. I could do this. I could do this. And then he's looking at it and he's getting ready. And then off camera, you hear a voice said, sure. You're ready for that. Mr. Whitman. Okay. The voice. It's a, Voice with gravitas. Okay. And it's a voice that when the movie was done, someone yelled out, who is that in our theater? And someone else yells out, Marshala. 
And so then Evan and I are like, well, that would make sense. Marshala Ali is Blade. He's they they announced him that he was going to be Blade. They haven't announced his movie, but they've announced him. In 2019, they announced him. Pre-COVID, they announced him as being Blade. All right. Who's already been in a Marvel project that may or may not be MCU. Blade is not. MCU. Blade is not. No, um, no. No, Blade was Wesley Snipes. He did his three movies. But they've not done anything to say that that's any kind of MCU thing. But I'm talking about uh, Luke Cage. Oh, Marshall. He was yeah. Mouth. Yeah. yeah, he was. Yeah. But anyway, they announced him as Blade. And everyone's like, well, what's going to happen? And I think one of the reasons they announced him as Blade back then was because they thought this movie was going to come out earlier, maybe. I don't know. But this was his first actual we we have a we have a vampire hunter in the mcu and and this is our first opportunity to see him rather hear him and it makes sense that he's coming and talking to a guy who's looking at a blade (laughs) oh and not to forget that we have a with um morpheus we have a vampire movie around the corner so which you know we'll play the game is it mcu you know but um yeah but, but that's that's a Sony Marvel project. Yeah. But yeah. this is where I'm looking and saying, okay, I think we're going to see Black Knight as a character a guy running around with a sword anyway. I mean, I call himself Black Knight, but he might. I think we're going to see him in, in the Blade movie first before we see him in Eternals 2. Okay. And, and I'm also wondering, you know, are we going to see some of these Eternals in Guardians of the Galaxy 3 or in Thor Love and Thunder? So not, I, I wouldn't object to that. I'm, I'm just not <sighs> with with the production group, with the producers and the director and screenwriters and so forth, which I just looked up and it's mostly the same person. I just don't think they're going to bring that production team back because of all the stuff that we just discussed and more probably. Yeah. So yeah. what's going to happen with that, with Blade? We'll find out. But yeah, there he is. Blade is in the MCU. We knew he was coming. We didn't mm-hmm. know when. I certainly didn't expect it this time around. I'm so glad it wasn't spoiled for me. Um, although I didn't know his, him by his voice. It was someone else in the theater yelling out who it was and then realizing oh, this is what this means. And then that night after we recorded our episode for Strangers and Aliens, Evan did send me a message saying that they confirmed that that's who it was. Yeah. And I am excited for him playing that role because he's a wonderful actor. (laughs) And I do remember enjoying the Blade movies with Wesley Snipes. So, or at least the first one. I can't remember how I felt. It's been so long. I cannot remember how I felt about the second one. And the third one, I only really enjoyed because of the relationship between uh, Wesley Snipes and. uh, Have you heard any of the behind the scenes stuff on that movie? Um, no, it is crazy. 
it's amazing that movie even got finished. And there's a reason why it's called Blade Trinity. Mm-hmm. The Trinity part, the three other characters are are more important in some ways than Blade because Wesley Snipes, I mean, that movie almost didn't happen. He was well, throwing point, fits. Wesley, and, Snipes, Wesley Snipes was being a diva <laughs> from what I understand. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's Eternals, but we have some feedback. So let's uh, okay. let's jump into that feedback number one from Agent O eight four. He wrote to us on our Patreon account, and he says, "Eternals spoiler feedback slash bummers." I'm having a hard time finding a character or storyline that I didn't care about here. And I just like to be happy about this movie that I loved without being too anti-negativity in the community. It's just difficult not to be worried that Marvel and Disney are going to respond to all the critiques with course correcting that removes things I loved about this first one. Unfortunately, that forces me to care about other people's opinions on the movie, and that's a difficult spot to be in. All in all, I got to watch a well-crafted, complex story about the beauty of humanity from an outside point of view. I got to see a protagonist who leads this journey, not because of her physical abilities, which are also great, but because of her love for humanity. I saw a villain hating himself for betraying people he loved, but unable to waver from his beliefs. I saw a dozen different characters go through beautiful arcs that resonated with the theme of the movie. And yes, there are too many of those arcs to list without writing one of those long-winded emails I used to write you guys. But having a lot of characters is not an inherently bad thing in a story. I've seen terrible movies with only a few main characters, and I've seen breathtaking ones with too many to count. What matters is whether it's clear the creators care about what they're presenting to us. And to me, it's clear in spades that Chloe and the other writers care very much. I just hope that they'll be allowed to bring us more in that regard. I guess I'm at the mercy of the loudest opinions until next time. So that was agent. Oh, And I, this is what I was saying. Like I'm, I'm worried like is, was our review. One of those things that you're talking about here. Oh, wait for, I, I don't know. Um, but again, this is this is what the podcast is, is talking about, hey, this is what we thought. And this is also why we want and hope to get uh, listener feedback is because, you know, bringing these other opinions in. And um, I'm also hoping that you're hearing that I, I didn't hate the movie. I actually really liked it. It just didn't hit on all cylinders for me. And I have a van that's old right now. That does not hit on all cylinders and it gets me from point A to point B, but sometimes it doesn't start. So, <laughs> you know, not hitting on all cylinders doesn't mean it's, it's not working. It just means it potentially doesn't work. So, well, as long as the brakes work properly, <laughs> as long as it stops. Yeah. The stopping yeah. is the more is, I, stopping is more important than starting for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, my cousin, who at the time had just started driving, uh, he was fixing the brakes on his car and he said, moving is optional. Stopping is necessary. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Hank writes in and says, just saw Eternals. The thought occurred to me, and it is very likely that I am late to the party, that the big screen Marvel movies have traditionally featured very large, even cosmic stakes. It would be good if the television series had smaller, more personal stakes like WandaVision and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, as well as the Netflix series. So for the exception 
So far, the exception has been Loki, but I think the smaller screen rewards the smaller, more personal stories. In fact, our beloved Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. could have been a very good series about medium-sized stakes, but then it got drawn into the big Thanos thing and chased world-shattering threat events. And this is where, again, I feel like, I don't know if you remember the Gunslinger, uh, Stephen King's Gunslinger Dark Tower news that they had a while back where they were talking about how this is what we're going to do. We're going to do a movie and then we're going to do a TV series that, that ties into the next movie. And they're going to do a trilogy of movies, I think for the dark tower. And in between this trilogy of movies, there was going to be a television series on a streaming service or something like that. The idea being they have the tent pole and then they have like the, these threads between the, the tent pole where they could tell the smaller stories and I feel like Eternals could have fit that mold really well. And, and also, you know, same thing with the way they did in humans where you go for the big screen first chapter. And then you get to go and watch all of these, you know, prequely flashbacky things on Disney plus. And then a year and a half later, Eternals two. And that's when they stop the celestial, you know, or, or something like that. I, yeah, I just, I wish we had more time with these characters to get to know them better. And I mean, we didn't even talk about um, uh, the comedian who was the the Bollywood guy. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and and his his uh, valet, who oh, was man. a highlight of the movie. You know, we didn't even talk about those because I'm busy no. grousing and complaining or whatever. But um, yeah. They were welcome additions, you know, and, and whenever the oh, valet yeah. was on the screen or the director, oh, or I guess he was a producer. The rather. cameras. Yeah. He always had another camera. I loved that so it was, much. <laughs> it was funny. If, if, yeah. It was goofy enough to make you laugh, but not too goofy to make you think it rings untrue. Although, you know, most humor is, is, you know, exaggeration of, of real life and, yeah. you know, and he was hilarious. Yeah. And, and and do you think the Bollywood scene was over the top? I don't think so because no, all Bollywood no. movies are like that. <laughs> it's all over the top and it's fun. I felt like it it wasn't as big as I thought it was going to be. Like I thought it was going to yeah. get bigger than, and you no, know, they're, they're just shooting one scene, you know, one particular yeah. part of the dance. And um, yeah, but uh, they also, because of him, you get a couple references to DC stuff where um they they refer to him being kind of like Alfred <laughs> to mm-hmm. <laughs> to uh the other guy's um Batman, you know. And then you have uh obviously Icarus being this kind of shadow of Superman and and being a character who is all about um his righteousness but then realizing that the thing that he thought was righteous is not at all righteous yeah. and yeah so a- anyway that's we didn't even talk about them yeah so um i today i finished watching the first season of superman and lois and that theme comes up in this season and it's really good it's really good and but anyways because it was a whole thing of should you save the Kryptonians or should you save Earth? 
Yeah. So. And the answer, if I'm writing Superman, the answer is, and I don't know, and don't say, don't spoil, okay? Mm-hmm. But my answer is both. Like, that's that's my Superman answer, is is both. And when I look at problems like that in my own life, obviously not exactly like that. Mm-hmm. That's where my mind goes is what I don't, I don't literally ask what would Superman do or anything like that. But in my mind, it's okay. We've got two people in conflict with a problem. How do we help them both? It's a little bit more complicated than that. On the show, it's, sure. I oversimplified the plot for you, but the the idea is the same for me. You know, yeah. Superman, it's not a binary. This can go or this can go. It's why not both? And he's Superman. He can get both. Now Icarus is not Superman, although they had some great Superman moments, and they had some great Flash moments, and yeah. they had some great Wonder Woman moments, and uh, and with Gilgamesh. Man, and that guy's face. I loved that guy's face. It, he looked like a boxer who had taken, you know, he looked like Rocky Balboa. And Sylvester Stallone could have been, could have been that part, man. But, um, yeah, I just, I had heard rumors that there was going to be Hercules in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I love the Marvel Hercules. He's a favorite of mine. Yeah. But, okay. yeah, the Gilgamesh character, he actually reminded I realized that you had a, I believe it's a Chinese actor playing this role. Um, I'm sorry. No, South Korean. Okay. So he's South Korean American. Um, but he could have easily been played. I felt like the way he approached this character was the way that it just reminded me a lot of a lot of South Pacific Islanders. Cause they're very much like boxer like, but they also love food. Like, with such a beautiful passion, and they're so compassionate towards the people that they consider family. And so gentle with their family members. So, I mean, they could have also put a South Pacific Islander in this role, too. Yeah, and and I, I like the some of these uh, adjectives that you're putting in there with, with gentle and, and that kind of thing. Where he, yeah. he is the strongest guy, but he's also the one who's the nurturer. In in yeah. in taking care of of Thena and um, yeah, big movie, lots to talk about because there's so many different pieces and and everything and and just like with people, and and I preach this, not literally preach, I I, I literally preach other things, but I metaphorically preach this when I when I work with um, people where I'm their supervisor and people where I'm like working on professional development with them. Um, I say over and over again, your greatest strength is also your greatest weakness. You know, when you look at your, and and you can flip it too. If you look at yourself and say, this is my greatest weakness. I am bad at this, or I always do this. That's my greatest weakness. That's where you say, I'm going to flip that. That's also my greatest strength, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that's just something that, you're looking at this guy and his greatest weakness, his greatest strength, you know, is he's, he's powerful, you know, but he, he's a, he's a nurturer. He wants to care for her, he wants to take care of her. And, 
Yeah. I, that's the best for me, best love story of all these characters. Um, but back to the, the movie, the greatest strength is there's so many characters. The greatest weakness is there's so many characters. And yeah. Yeah. Actually, I wish this actually was a Disney plus series. Cause there's so much going on. I know. Right. Like this is, I, yeah. I mean, you're, you're talking about a movie that you really are saying, I didn't like this movie that much, but I, you're also seeing the potential yeah. of, I mean, of it, what this could be. If it was something beyond, yeah. could it be it's anything a, other than a movie when you're looking at it from a business standpoint? Probably not. I mean, the money that needs to go into this, but then again, streaming yeah. things, how much is Amazon putting into the, the Lord of the Rings series that they're doing? I don't know, but a lot. I, I, no, I mean they're they're putting yeah. millions and, and maybe a half billion dollars into that. It, it's a lot of money. But. Yeah, um, but I, I was just thinking if they had done, I don't know, if, not even six series. I mean, they could have done a six series show on Disney Plus with these characters, and then launched it into the movie where they they dealt with the uh, Celestials. They could have done that, and then I would have felt like they had earned the character. They they would have earned the movie because they had so many characters that were so interesting. I mean, I was like poo pooing um, how little they involved Makari. I would have liked to have gotten to know Makari better. Yeah, and this is where you do like it. Yeah, maybe a cross between Lost and Highlander. Or something like that, where each episode of your Disney Plus series has a primary character that you're following. Right. So you've got the Icarus episode and you've got the Cersei episode. And those two episodes together work to tell that romance or whatever. And then you have the the Gilgamesh episode and the Athena episode. And those two will dovetail together a little bit as well. Uh, but you get Sprite gets her own thing and, and Mimikari gets her own thing and, and the Bollywood Fastos. guy um, and, and Fastos. Yeah. And, and what you get with that though is, so that's lost, right? Lost did that and they did it really well. I liked that they had a, a focal point character in each episode and, and then <laughs> the main characters would get extras, you know, but then even the background characters would get an episode for themselves. And then you also have the flashbacks. And so you're able to do the flashbacks to different time periods where you're able to see things. And I, I think that there could be some really neat, neat storytelling stuff that they could do. Now that said, when this movie started production was Disney plus were those Disney plus series, even a thing. I don't know. I don't know, but this is, this is where it's at. And this is the movie we got. And we can play the what if game a lot because that's a Marvel thing, but yeah. Um, but yeah, we do have one more voicemail or one more feedback that is a, in the form of a voicemail. So I'm going to play that now. Hey guys, this is just Jeffrey calling in from Missouri with some thoughts about the Eternals. First off, let's talk about some positive things. Um, I thought the movie was beautiful. Um, I thought it had a lot of visual stuff that, you know, a lot of Marvel movies look good, but there was a lot of stuff in this movie that just kind of blew me away or that looked better, I think, than a lot of Marvel movies. One of the things I really liked 
was at the end, uh, the celestial hand coming up out of the ocean. Um, I really liked a lot of the characters. Uh, my favorites were like Makari and Druig, and I liked Gilgamesh. I'm glad that they didn't put him in his 80s Avengers costume of the loincloth. Um, I thought the characters had a lot of depth. It was, you know, the the villain wasn't really a villain. You know, Icarus and Kingo, they were just doing their jobs. They were doing what they thought was right. And it was bad for Earth, but, you know, in the cosmic sense, maybe that was, you know, they were just doing what they thought they had to do. Um, another thing I like about about this movie is that, or in Phase 2 in particular, or not Phase 2, but this sort of post-Endgame uh, Marvel stuff is that we don't really know who the bad guy is, right? So everything leading up to, like, Avengers Endgame, we always knew it was Thanos. Uh, this time, there's a lot of balls on the court with regard to, like, who the bad guy is, and, and I really like that. It's pretty exciting. Um, so some of the cons, there was just too much exposition dumping. Um, some of the stuff, like when Ajax was telling um, the team about uh, the Celestials, it was just, like, a Mad Lib sci-fi word salad, and it didn't make much sense. And also, like, when Cena became uh, Mad Weary, I didn't know what they were talking about for the longest time it's, but until they told me what, what was actually happening. But that was rather inelegant. And um, even though the acting was really good, the scene in Hiroshima with Fastos, like, crying about technology, that was just felt really heavy-handed and or ham-fisted. Um, but there's a lot of things. I really like this movie. I don't know why it's getting so many negative reviews, but, uh, it was really something that a Marvel movie that felt like it was actually going in a new direction. Um, I'm pretty excited that Dane Whitman has been introduced as the, well, potentially the black Knight. Um, I also really wanted the voice, uh, behind him to be Kang, but I guess it wasn't. Um, and also, did you guys notice that uh, in the scene where they were talking about the evolution of the deviants, that one of the one of them looked like the brood, or maybe it was what it was hunting the brood? Anyway, just want to know what you thought about that. If you guys uh, you guys are doing great, keep up the good work. Thank you. Bye. So thank you for for calling in. He called in on our hotline, but it, like I said before, if you want to email us, you can email us at studio Avery, all one word at gmail dot com and that is because our website email address got killed (laughs) (laughs) it was not internal it did not live forever uh yeah so the brood thing i did not notice uh, that that it was a cool detail if it was there um but the brood was a alien-esque or xenomorph-esque uh villain brought into the X-Men comics by Chris Claremont. And there is some cool stuff that they did with that. And so if it was from the brood, um, that's another X-Men tie in that we get to have with Disney now. So was it brood brood or drug? No brood was a, an alien that he was talking about from, uh, that the deviants might have been fighting or might have looked like one. Okay. Druig, 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 is that right? Druig, I don't know. I think. Yeah, is a character we did not talk about at all no. in this episode. And oh. yeah, which which points to again that great weakness, that great strength. Um, and he was an interesting character as well because, but he confused me because 
he has this power, but the whole time they're telling him, you don't, don't use your power. And it's like the, the, the celestials created them to be one thing and to do something, but it feels like it wasn't the greatest, uh, planning behind it. Yeah. Much has much of like how I feel about this movie. (laughs) Okay. Well, that was a little bit longer episode about a little bit longer, um, movie. Yeah. I do want to ask you, uh, do you have final words? for us. Yes. I would like to thank Oh wait for and Jeffrey for writing in and, or contacting us with their feedback. And I would, uh, they are also Patreon patrons. And I would also like to thank Tazzle, blessed Cheesemaker, Julie and Andrew for also being our Patreon patrons. Thank you all so very much. I also want to thank you all very much. Appreciate you guys listening. Appreciate you guys spending time with us. So anyway, I do want to say thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for engaging. You know, you can like us on Facebook and you can send us, like I said, emails. And you can also, you know, call the number that will be in the credits you're about about to hear. Um, but I've appreciated being able to use this new microphone and in my my weird closet office with the desk that I'm sitting at, which is literally fall collection. Ikea. Thanks for listening to Welcome to Level 7. You've heard from us, now we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us voicemail by calling one 5 level 7 That's one 553 8357 or send us an email to studioavery at gmail.com. You can also go to welcome to level7.com slash feedback and leave us a message there or join us on our Facebook group, facebook.com slash welcome to level seven. The seven is spelled out. And don't forget, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash welcome to level seven. The seven is spelled out and become a Patreon supporter there. Once again, thanks so much for listening and Godspeed. Let's talk about Dune, but we, I don't want to spoil too much about Dune and this will be a short conversation. This is a long episode. You're gonna have a lot of fun Mm -hmm. editing this thing, but, um, the movie itself, Dune, I highly, highly, highly recommend it, especially to fans of sci-fi who want the big, who want the big ideas, who want the incredible visuals. And is it light on characters? It might be a little bit. Because there's, again, a lot of characters, but there's a lot of comparisons you can make between Eternals and Dune. And just the things that the both movies are trying to do, the one difference is one is trying to be a Marvel movie and the other is trying to adapt a classic sci-fi book that has been adapted twice before. Have you seen the other Dune movies? I have. I've seen the, the first one. And every time I've tried to watch it, I fall asleep within the first five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. There was the Dune that you're talking about, but then there was mm-hmm. a sci-fi television miniseries of Dune and then Children of Dune. Yeah, and 
I kind of wish my husband was here because he could go on about how both of those were just terrible. <laughs> well, I don't think that they were terrible. I mean, that's I don't I, I wouldn't agree that they're terrible. They're not great, but they were very good for what they were, which was a TV movie adaptation. They had. Hey, you want to talk about time? They had hours to deal with instead of, you know, a long movie. You're, you're talking about two night, uh, engagement or three night engagement. Um, but they were, uh, so Dune starred William Hurt, General Ross himself. So that's kind of cool. And Children of Dune starred James McAvoy. So, um, uh, was this Professor the X, this is the sci-fi ones. Yeah. Okay. Not, yeah. Not the movie, but the, the two sci-fi miniseries, we had some Marvel connections here okay. and, uh, and here's a Star Trek connection. Alice Krieg was, uh, was in children of Dune as well. She was the Borg queen. Yeah. Um, so from what I understand the, the movie, which was the David Lynch movie, I think some point that movie was taken away from him by the studio. And that's part of the reason why the editing was so slow in that movie. Well, and that's a movie that there's rumors of this brilliant four hour cut. Yeah. <laughs> whatever it might be. And, and, and that, and that might be, but to me, that original Dune movie was a nice supplement. If you've read the book. So yeah. if you've, if you just read the book, turn on that movie and you're going to get some visuals from the book and you're going to get some moments from the book and you're going to get some, I think for its time, cool effects, you know, and, and it, it, is it, is it a great movie? No. Does it deserve all the hate? Maybe. Cause I can understand people being bored by it, but I watched it in college after I had read the book and it was, I, I really enjoyed myself. And so then a few, a few times since then and just watched it recently before the other Dune movie came out and I'm, I, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Is it perfect? Okay. No way. <laughs> Not even close. Is it a good, ac accurate represent representation of the book? Hmm. Yeah, good enough. <laughs> it's an eighty sci-fi yeah. movie, you know. Read the book yeah. if you want. If you want the the story that's the classic thing that became this classic thing, read the book. Also, watch Jodorowsky's Dune documentary about the the Dune movie that was never made, but would have been bonkers crazy. It would have been coconuts bananas. It would have been incredible. It would have cost so much money. But it's it's a brilliant movie, brilliant documentary, I should say, about a movie that was supposed to happen and was going to be one of the craziest things ever. Didn't happen. And the story of that movie is fascinating enough for me to say, watch that documentary. And cool. Okay. So let's talk about this movie, though, Samantha. This is the one okay. you want to talk about. Dune. Yeah. 2021. Go. So when I saw this in the theaters, I was like, oh my gosh, this is this generation's 2001. And it's an instant timeless classic. It was just, I just loved the motif of just 
size and just the giant things compared to the tiny, tiny little things and the insect motif. And um, we saw my husband and I, we saw it in the theater and that this was his first movie back since COVID in, in the cinemas. And he loved it. His family, he and his family, they were raised on the Dune series. I am currently sitting in a room with, not the entire collection. We're still missing Heretics of Dune, but the entire Dune collection uh, book series. And there's references in his family that I still don't get because they're referencing something from the books. And we were sitting down watching the movie again here at home on HBO Max. And I was showing him, this is why it's a great movie. And I'm sure you appreciate it for because you're a fan of the book series. And I showed him, Look, every, you could pause that this movie at any moment and you have a fantastic screenshot that would be go great as wallpaper on your computer. And I would pause it several times and said, look, does this look like wallpaper to you? Does this look like wall? <laughs> does this look beautiful to you? And he goes, yeah. And I said, this is generally a good sign that this is a well-made, at least beautifully shot movie. Okay, so I agree. It's mm-hmm. just, you're talking about the style the things in the Eternals trailer that got me excited about Eternals mm-hmm. were all of the the brief moments that this movie was made of, mm-hmm. and and the same with the Eternals movie itself. Like they had the giant ship moving against the sun, and that was so cool. Yeah, but this movie Dune is made of that, and that's the DNA of this thing. And there's a scale of grandeur where here's, here's the thing. I did not see this in theaters. Life was just not working for me to be able to get to the theater to see it, even though it was a 10 minute walk to get to a theater to watch this movie. Um, I watched it on my iPad in bed (laughs) and now I wore my podcasting headphones and held the screen, you know, close so I could see it with my bifocals because I'm an old person now. But um, even then, I was able to appreciate just the scale of things and just the it, yeah. So Samantha, this is my biggest curiosity about this movie is is you not knowing, like you hadn't read had you read the book? No. Okay. I still haven't. And you yeah. love this movie still? Yeah. Okay. I thought it was gorgeous. That's what I was wondering is like someone who doesn't know the story and doesn't know about Paul and doesn't know where it's going. Are they going to appreciate it? And I wondered that before I went and I wondered that when I went, I, I, I went to that movie and I was just like, this really works, but does it, does it stand on its own? My review of the, the David Lynch movie is, read the book and then watch the movie and you're going to get a supplement, you know, you're going to, um, but I shouldn't have to read the book to get the movie. No, you shouldn't. And that's why I'm wondering and, and hoping that people who have not read the book are going to be like, wow, because it's fairly true. You know, there's, there's, there's differences, there's changes, there's character changes and, and stuff like that. But tonally, thematically and visually, they have taken a movie and turned it or taken a book rather and turned it into a movie in one of the most true ways possible. And, yeah. and 
I appreciate that. That's something that I used to do often for comic books was to turn someone else's story, whether it was George Martin with the hedge Knight, or whether it was a true story about a guy who was kidnapped in Cuba or whether it was, um, you know, Bible story, whatever it might be, I'm taking someone else's narrative and turning it into taking it from one medium and turning it into another medium. It's hard to do. It's hard to do well. And so I can forgive David Lynch because he created something that is just bonkers. He created something that is stunning and and special, but not great for your big budget and not great for your audience. You know, your audience is not going to be the, you know, returning to a movie where they actually handed out cards at the premiere to help people understand what the th- words were that they're talking about. Oh uh, yeah. But with but with this dune the context works and you don't need a, an exposition dump. You get them. <laughs> yeah. Don't get me wrong. They still do some exposition, but. And it's well um, done. Oh my goodness. So yeah. yeah, I don't think this is the greatest sci-fi movie ever, but if you're having a conversation about the greatest sci-fi movies ever, this movie is one that you'll have to talk about. Yeah. It, it just, it just belongs in that conversation and it just might be. Like, I just haven't sat down to really think it through, but it just might be the greatest, maybe, but definitely one of the greatest. And I just, I cannot express enough how that movie, it, it touched me. And, yeah. and, and I don't want to give anything away without playing a spoiler organ, but we don't usually do two in an episode, but the climax of the movie, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. The climax is this fight. And the movie itself, all throughout the movie, has been a call, in some ways, a call to lamentation. There are bad things happening in this world. And you're not called to be excited about a Death Star battle like you are in Star Wars. You're called in the movie to recognize the cost and the battle, the fight that I'm talking about at the end, when it's done emotionally, I was so with the character and the the music can be a little too bombastic at times, but I was glad I was wearing my headphones because I was able to listen to it big and, and loud and in stereo rather than just the speakers on my iPad and the music kicks in and emotionally, I'm just like, yeah, I'm not celebrating violence here. I'm not celebrating, you know, the, the, the climactic battle. I'm lamenting what the characters had to go through and that violence was forced on them throughout this whole movie. Cause this whole movie is about there's, there's no room for choice we are being pushed into these things and uh, i i got emotional i did not cry like i did at bill and ted's but which we've talked about i'm sure you've heard about but bill and ted's bill and ted face the music yeah i i i had tears in the in the finale there but i i did feel a lump in my throat i was with the character and his emotional response the music, the acting, it all, the, the movie led me to that point. And I don't know 
how much the the director is hoping for in that point. But I emotionally at that point was just like, oh my goodness, I'm here. I'm with that character. And it, it moved me. It touched me. Um, from what I read about the director, he's been wanting to make this movie since he was 12 years old or somewhere around there, like 12, 14. So he's had, he's been preparing for this movie since he was a teenager. And he, I mean, uh, my husband explained to me that in the book says there's this whole ecology about where the spice comes from on, on Akaris and, and it's very complex and um, they didn't need to get into it necess- directly into this movie. But I mean, the director spent a year mulling over what would make the sandworms realistic in this environment. You know, how big does it have to be in order to move those dunes? How, what would the mouth look like? I mean, and comparing it to real world insects and species that burrow. And, which is where yeah, the he book took a year on from. that. He's been, yeah, and and he he's been thinking about this for decades. And um, I saw some interviews, which can be found on HBO Max, um, where Timothy Shalman asked him, "Is this scene turning out the way exactly how you imagined it?" And the director said, "Yes." So, I mean, this is not something that he just signed on to and then a movie was in theaters a year and a half, two years later. It, this is something that has he's been thinking about and trying to figure out for decades. It's been percolating. Yes, it's been percolating. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest disappointment yeah. for me was when I saw the title screen and then it said part one. And I'm just, ah, I think I probably should have expected that. But the director said he wanted to do this book and Dune Messiah as, mm-hmm. as three movies as a, as a trilogy. And that makes sense. It, yeah. it would work that way. Um, and, and honestly, you know, as much as I'm a fan of the book and I really liked Dune Messiah, but as you're going along in the six original Frank Herbert books, it just, it loses me as I go along. And this, this reread, I didn't read book five and six. And I just remember losing interest and i remember it losing momentum for me um as it got later on in the series but dune and dune messiah are some of the greatest books in 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 sci-fi history ever they just are for me anyway and so if, if the movie series takes us through the end of dune messiah i'm 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 cool with that that's great yeah and in case you were wondering what my husband was the jokes that were um, being sent my way. My husband was sending me memes about the Bene Gesserit and that, that pain test. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why are you sending me memes? I have no context to get why this is a joke. <laughs> and in um, his family, there's a thing that they call the family battle language, which is, it's not really battle language. It's just being very concise in how you're speaking during a very intense moment. Like, Um, a few weeks ago or a few months ago, my husband was fixing the dryer and he needs that. And he says to me, I need the, the socket wrench with the, uh, three, uh, 
three quarter inch socket. And I went and I said, here's the socket wrench with a three quarter inch socket. That's our, that's the family bot battle language. It's, it's just called that because of the books, but, um, and it drives my mother-in-law insane because my father-in-law can do it, does it so frequently. <laughs> but I mean, I, I didn't understand any of that until I met my husband because he started explaining some things to me and he's explained enough that I do want to start reading the books myself. Well, it's, it's a fantastic book, especially that first one. Um, but this movie takes it and, and, and does it adapts it so well. It's interesting because I'm also watching foundation on Apple plus or whatever Apple's thing is called. Um, um, and yeah, Apple and, TV. Yeah. Apple, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. But the, that was one where both those books are similar eras, you know, and, and similar, um, pedigree mm-hmm. and, you know, Dune and foundation, um, Dune is timeless. And part of the timelessness comes from it coming from a future that's so far removed but then also things happened where technology was left by left behind. And so when it's got archaic technology, like they're using swords, right? Well, they have to use swords because of the way they have to fight each other. And it has to be close up because of the defenses that they have. And, and, and these different things like that, that I don't think he was planning that to say, Oh yeah. So in 2021, people will read this book or watch a movie based on this book and be okay with, the technology that I'm using because I'm not trying to imagine future technology. I'm imagining future technology that's based in the past, you know, and is based on the spice and is based on, and and then you have foundation by Isaac Asimov where in the book it's 3000 years in the future, but they're still reading newspapers. And it's like, wait a minute. It's 2021 and people don't read newspapers anymore, you know, or, or few people do. Mm-hmm. And, and so when they make this, this TV series, they've, they've punched it up. They've Star Wars it up a little bit, but not too much. It's still the same skeleton, more or less, but it's not the book. It's not the book. I love it. It's, it's been very enjoyable. And like there was a, a time when I'm like, Oh, I'm watching Dune and foundation on my iPad. Like this is these classics of sci-fi from, you know, 70 years ago for, for foundation. It was in the fifties, I think. And for Dune, I think it was in the sixties, but, um, it's not, not quite 70 years ago, but you get the idea. And it's just, this is what, a, what a time. This is wonderful. This is great. And, yeah. And it helps that they're both good. <laughs> like it's not like foundation is a stinker, but both of those are books where people said, you can't film this. You can't make a movie out of this. You can't make a TV show out of this. And foundation earns that reputation because it's a lot of people talking. I want to talk about exposition. The foundation <laughs> book is just lots of people talking about things that have happened <laughs> and, and talking about the plan that they had when things started to happen and talking about, you know, and, and then you get to see like one thing happening in in the book. And it's just like, yeah, I can understand them saying this, but yeah. Anyway, this is already a monster episode. So I think <sighs> we need to, 
uh, stop talking here. But anything else you wanted to say? Imagine if Stuart was with us tonight. We'd be still talking about Eternals. <laughs> we might be, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, usually the longer episodes are when there's three of us for the and entire a big thing. topic, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, Eternals is a big topic. Mm-hmm. But, uh, next up in the MCU is Spider-Man, and Morbius is coming soon, but we don't know what the... St- where that's going to be. There's some weird, have you seen the things that they, the people posted about clues from the trailers where Morbius seems to be existing in like six different universes because of costuming and because of characters and, and that kind of thing. Like it's, it seems to be referencing like six different variations of Spider-Man or whatever. Well, you know so. me, I'm pretty much walking away from social media right now. So oh, that's true. That's right. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. So, All right. Well, Samantha, thank you so much for joining me. And listeners, thank you so much for joining me. Good night. And uh, Godspeed, everyone.